Day 61 of Heart Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoi. Welcome to the Heart Dive Podcast. Well, today we are taking a look at the role of divine leadership and the rebellion against it in Numbers chapters 16 through 17. And today we will be reading out of the ESV by Crossway Translation. But before we begin, if you could please help us out if you're here on YouTube by hitting that little like button, letting us know you're a part of the Heart Dive fam. Also, make sure you're subscribed to the channel if you are taking part in this Heart Dive 365 and make sure you got that notification bell on so that you know when the videos come out every day. If you have any questions or if you're new here to this Bible study. We welcome you. Let us know where you are in the world. Where are you watching from? How did you find this Bible study? And make sure to check out the description box or the show notes to answer any questions that you might have, or you can always head to our website, heartdive.org. Otherwise, I've got to get on the road today. We got a gymnastics meet in another state. So I would like to ask for a little bit of grace this weekend because I am dropping this video early to make sure you have a Sabbath day video. But come Sunday, I'm not sure yet when we're getting back in town. So I just want to give you a heads up on that. So I'm giving you a little bit of a treat, but asking for some mercy here. So let's go ahead and pray and get into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for just being a good, good father, for being so kind to us, so merciful and gracious, for saving us in the midst of our own rebellion. Forgive us, Lord, where we have erred, where we have fallen short, or where we have crossed the line. I pray that if we've hurt someone, God, that you will reveal that to our hearts so that we can go and make it right. If we have hurt your heart, please forgive us. Please show us, Lord, any words that we speak, any thoughts that we have, any actions that grieves your heart. We want to live in holiness, and so we just give you permission, Holy Spirit, to please show us both through your word and just through conviction, what is right and what is not. Help us to forgive others also, Lord, so that we can set ourselves free, but also set those people free to receive that same forgiveness and grace and mercy that you give to us. And as we read your word today, I pray, Lord, that you will bring revelation, that you will bring a freshness to a word that we may have read many times before or may have even skipped over. Will you speak to our hearts today? Open our ears, our eyes, our hearts to be able to hear you and see you clearly. We love you so much. We thank you for this time together. Bless every person here in Jesus' name. Amen. So we left off yesterday with the Lord talking about unintentional sin as well as intentional sin. And so we continue here in chapter 16. Now, remember when the Bible was written, there were no chapters, there were no page breaks or anything like that. So this is actually a continuation from the word that he was speaking. Now, Korah, the son of Izhar, son of Kohath, and remember the Kohathites are the ones who have the most privileged position. They are the ones who carry the most holy items, son of Levi and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben took men. And they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, you've gone too far for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So there is some truth in what they're speaking here because the Levites are indeed holy. They are consecrated. They are set apart for the service of the Lord. However, where they're going wrong here is by saying that Moses and Aaron are exalting themselves above others because we know that God has chosen Moses and Aaron. They didn't put themselves in that position. They didn't ask for it. In fact, Moses was the one who was like, not me, Lord. Why me? 
And I just want to answer them right here and say, because God said so. Now, when Moses heard it, he fell on his face and he said to Korah and all his company. So these are the kind of people we got to be really wary of. We've got to keep our eyes peeled for people who are speaking negatively about leadership above them and trying to gather others to be able to come in agreement with them, flee from those Korahs. Those are Korahs when they're trying to appeal negatively to a crowd so that they can then exalt themselves. Verse four, when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. Of course he did, because anytime Moses faces an issue, he goes to the Lord. And he said to Korah and all his company in the morning. And Moses said to Korah, hear now, you sons of Levi, is it too small a thing for you that God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself and to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them and that he has brought you near him and all your brothers and the sons of Levi with you? And would you seek the priesthood also. So here we go again with this contemptuous spirit of wanting more prominence. And this is very similar to the way Miriam and Aaron acted with Moses. They're basically asking, why them? Why are they so special? Why not us? And they believe they are not elevated enough here. But the heart that demands promotion from God is not typically the one who will be worthy of it in the end, because inappropriate ambition is really just greed in disguise. And it's the ones who are willing to be humble and willing to serve under the authority of others who God will lift up. So heart check. Are you satisfied with where God has placed you? Do you honor the authority that is over you? Or do you feel you should be promoted to a higher position? And we've got to remember that when we are coveting someone else's position or someone else's gifts, ultimately, we are now neglecting the ones that God gave to us, which means we are rejecting Him. And the thing is, is that we cannot be more useful to God than He is willing to make us. Verse 11, therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and they said, we will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey? Okay, wait, what? Scratch. They're calling Egypt the land flowing with milk and honey. So here they go, coloring the past. To kill us in the wilderness that you must also make yourself a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into the land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Now, some scholars believe that this is what is known as composite rebellion or co-conspiratorship. So this may be two different or separate instances, two different types of rebellion that was written on one account. But regardless, they're doing the same thing here. And not only have these two men assigned an evil heart to Moses by saying that he just wants to kill them in the wilderness, they're also holding him to an impossible standard and basically saying that he hasn't done a good enough job for their liking. I mean, it is really easy for Monday morning quarterbacks and for backseat drivers to say that they could do the job better. But the truth is, God rarely puts people like that into real leadership roles in the first place. And if he does, it's usually a matter of time before they crumble under that pressure or they get swallowed up. So while leaders should be held to a higher standard, it should never be one of perfection. So heart check. Whose standard are you holding leaders to? Do you feel as though you could do a better job? 
And even the way that they're talking to Moses, it's so clear that they have no respect for authority. And this is really dangerous. And in fact, I was talking to my husband today after I had already studied and he was laying in bed, kind of scrolling through Instagram. And he was like, oh, I wonder how my friend is doing that I grew up with. I wonder if he's in jail. And I kind of looked over at him. I'm like, what? Sure enough, he looked up this guy's name and he was in jail. And he said, I knew it. He said, he used to throw chairs at the teacher when we were younger. And so I said, well, what is he in jail for? Is it aggravated assault? And he said, yep, assault on a police officer. So clearly he did not learn to have respect for authority. So even as parents at a young age, we have got to be people who are modeling this, who are not only teaching this to our kids, because we can say so much, but if we're not modeling that for our children, they're going to follow in our footsteps. If they don't see us having respect for the authority that is over us, and this means all kinds of authority. We're talking not only teachers, but governmental leaders, even as much as we may not agree with them or may not like them, not talking smack about our bosses, not speaking negatively against the church. So we really have to think about this because sometimes we think it's not a big deal, but those little ears are listening to us. And Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them and I have not harmed one of them. So Moses is like, listen, I'm not taking any of their offerings or their sacrifices. So he tells God, please do not listen to them. I mean, Moses really could have laid down the law in that case against these guys, but he leaves it to God. Again, showing the wonderful character of Moses. And Moses said to Korah, be present, you and all your company before the Lord, you and they and Aaron tomorrow. And let every one of you take his censer and put incense on it. And every one of you bring before the Lord his censer, 250 censers, you also and Aaron, each his censer. So every man took his censer and put fire in them and laid incense on them and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. Now, I don't think this is a happy appearance of the glory of the Lord. This is an appearance of judgment. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, meaning Korah, and will you be angry with all the congregation? What amazing love Aaron and Moses have for the people right here. I mean, I would have been so fed up with them by now that everybody would have been getting all my nerves, but they have such mercy and grace on them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, say to the congregation, get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation saying, depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. And if we look at what this means for us spiritually, anybody who has a really divisive spirit, who again is rebelling against authorities, speaking badly against them, we too really should be separating ourselves from them because God is going to deal with them and you don't want to be in the mix of that. I'm not saying he's going to rain down a plague on them or let the earth swallow them up, but all the way to the point of dealing with them, there's going to be ramifications that follow this kind of behavior. And these kind of people will never declare themselves as divisive. They're never going to exclaim, oh, I am here to cause division. No, they're always going to make it seem like they have a worthy cause or that everything that they're doing and speaking is noble. So this is why we have to have discernment about these kinds of spirits. 
because I've seen it time and time again within the church, within even the staff of the church, where there are people like this who come to try to bring down what God is doing. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. So Moses, is declaring a sign here. Now, I don't know if this is something that the Lord may have told him this is going to happen because we really should not be people who go out and say, if this happens, then that means it's the Lord, unless the Lord really truly does tell you something like that. But this sign was essential here to prove that this is not a coincidence that is going to happen here. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households. So here we see that their families are suffering for their sin as well, and all the people who belong to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, to take up the censers out of the blaze. Then scatter the fire far and wide, for they have become holy. As for the censers of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar. For they offered them before the Lord, and they became holy. So the fact that they were offered before the Lord, God is saying, we got to take them and ensure that they are committed to holiness. Thus they shall be assigned to the people of Israel. So Eliezer, the priest, took the bronze censers, which those who were burned had offered, and they were hammered out as a covering for the altar, to be a reminder to the people of Israel, so that no outsider who is not of the descendants of Aaron should draw near to burn incense before the Lord, lest he become like Korah and his company, as the Lord said to him through Moses. But on the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses, don't you know it? I'm like, wow, seriously? And against Aaron saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. And when the congregation had assembled against Moses and against Aaron, they turned toward the tent of meeting and behold, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. So again, the glory of the Lord appearing for further judgment. And Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of the meeting. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, get away from the midst of this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. So he's like, I'm over it. And they fell on their faces. Of course they did. And Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put fire on it from the altar and lay incense on it and carry it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. So here we see quite a bit of urgency in this plea of Moses to Aaron. So Aaron took it as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. I mean, imagine Aaron's pretty old at this point. Can you imagine him running across the assembly? And behold, the plague had already begun among the people. And he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700. 
besides those who died in the affair of Korah. And Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting when the plague had stopped. So really sad here that these 250 men will go down being known as those who rebelled against the authority that God had put into place. And that is what rebellion will do. It will make you fade away into oblivion with no one remembering your cause. And in the end, it'll also make you fall away from God because what's going to happen is you're going to have all of this contention and this bitterness and everyone is going to seem like a foe. And a lot of the time people like that will begin to isolate themselves, which puts them into a vulnerable position to listen to the lies of the enemy. And eventually that will make you upset with God. You'll stop praying. You'll stop coming into the word. You'll stop going to fellowship. You'll stop going to church and you'll simply remove yourself from everything that is good. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to happen. So this is why we have to be really careful because in the end, if we are not happy with those who are in leadership over us, we will never be happy with anyone because we're not submitting to the fact that God is sovereign and that the Bible says that He is the one who appoints those in authority. So sometimes we're going to have to just suck it up and walk humbly, waiting for the Lord to deal with those we feel maybe aren't right or who may be abusing authority. Because as we have seen here, if we don't get a hold of our dissatisfaction, it will lead us to become negative and bitter and critical and cynical to where we start complaining, pulling other people in with us. And ultimately that opens the door to hostility and rebellion. And remember, they thought they were rising up against Moses and Aaron, but in the end, it was actually God that they were rebelling against because He is the one who appointed them to those positions. But what's beautiful in the end here is that we can actually see a Christ type through Aaron and the way that He stood between the dead and the living to make atonement. It's the same thing that Jesus did for us. He practically ran to that cross and stood between the death that we deserved and our eternal life, and He took that wrath upon Himself to make that atonement so that we could live. Chapter 17, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and get from them staffs, one for each father's house from all their chiefs, according to their father's houses, 12 staffs, write each man's name on his staff and write Aaron's name on the staff of Levi. For there shall be one staff for the head of each father's house. Then you shall deposit them in the tent of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you and the staff of the man whom I choose shall sprout. So remember that a staff depicts leadership. So this this is why God is choosing to use this as the instrument through which he is going to show who he indeed has chosen. Thus, I will make to cease from me the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against you. Moses spoke to the people of Israel and all their chiefs gave him staffs, one for each chief, according to their father's houses, 12 staffs, and the staff of Aaron was among their staffs. And Moses deposited the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the testimony. Now on the next day, Moses went into the tent of the testimony. And behold, the staff of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms and it bore ripe almonds. So he didn't just let a little old green sprig come out of that staff. He brought forth blossoms and buds and ripe fruit, ripe almonds. So he is giving them more than enough evidence to prove his point the same way that he did with Jesus. But sadly, when people have that type of cynical and complaining spirit, even the evidence is not going to be enough to convince them. And this also being a picture of Jesus and the way that he, quote, blossomed whenever he rose from the dead and then brought forth the fruit of the Spirit through the Holy Spirit. 
Then Moses brought out all the staffs from before the Lord to all the people of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his staff. And the Lord said to Moses, put back the staff of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign for the rebels, that you may make an end of their grumblings against me, lest they die. Thus did Moses, as the Lord commanded him, so he did. Now, this is a lesson that I believe is still so applicable today because we have so many watchmen out there who spend their time just looking for the faults in every preacher or every pastor, and then they're going to broadcast it in the name of, quote, false teaching. And this is a very dangerous thing to do because while we all need to have discernment and test the spirits and let people know when there is indeed a false teacher, we also need to be even more careful that we are not making false accusations against God's chosen leaders because of every little fault. Because the Bible says not to touch His anointed ones and not to do His prophets harm. So we have to be careful about determining the spiritual authority of a person based on a few doctrinal errors that they may have made or may have spoken. Because remember, Aaron the chosen high priest by God made a golden calf for the people. I mean, this was a colossal failure in leadership, yet God still chose him. And if it were to happen today, Aaron would have been on the chopping block a long time ago. So if we are going to put the spirits to the test, we see here how to do it in a godly manner. We look for two things. It's life and fruitfulness. Jesus even told us when he said, you will know them by their fruit. A good tree cannot bear evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bear good fruit. So heart check. Do you look for the life and fruit in people or only their faults? Are you listening to what others say or what the Holy Spirit says about them? Verse 12, and the people of Israel said to Moses, behold, we perish. We are undone. We are all undone. Everyone who comes near, who comes near to the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Are we all to perish? So clearly they end here in a panic. They are faced with the truth and it hurts. And the word will do that to us as well, because the word is like a double-edged sword. It will do lovely things for our spirit, but at times it'll hurt as well because it divides the bone and marrow. It divides the soul and spirit. And anytime we're getting poked or pierced by the word of God, it doesn't feel good. And we're going to have one of two choices here. It's either we're going to rebel against what God is saying, or we're going to humble ourselves and say, oh God, forgive me. Help me to fix this. Help me to be better. So let's take a look at some of our deep dive questions. Do you see the danger in questioning authority? What effects will complaining have on a community? How might the potential abuse of authority be better handled? What will the sign of Aaron's staff speak to the rebels? And does number 17 change your perspective on divine authority and leadership? So Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of our chosen leaders. We see today how much they do mean to you and how important it is for us to recognize this divine choosing and not to rebel against it. Lord, forgive us where we've done so, where we may have spoken against them or felt as though they shouldn't be in the place where you have put them. And I pray that we will have discernment for ourselves and put the spirits to the test as you've commanded, for we know there are indeed false teachers out there. But I pray that we don't just follow the crowd and what people are digging up for their own notoriety. May we not look at every fault as evidence for people's discreditation. But instead, I pray that we follow the biblical principle of looking at the life and fruitfulness of their ministry or their leadership. Help us to see where there is rotten fruit or blossoms and buds that will produce ripe fruit. 
We don't ever want to be in a place where we're challenging you, for we know that invites destruction and the disqualification of ourselves. We don't want to allow our own bitterness or envy or jealousy or cynicism to swallow us up. So please help us to be grateful for the gifts that you've given us and the place that you have put us in. Lord, change our hearts to better reflect your heart of compassion and goodness and help us to submit to your will so we can find mercy and grace. And forgive us where we may have grumbled or complained to others, creating an even greater problem. It may feel good in the moment to be able to vent or get things off of our chest, but it's only leading to toxicity in both our hearts and theirs. And we know that we will be held accountable for that. Even the words we speak in private will be heard one day. So help us to bring our issues to you first and foremost, and show us how we might deal with injustice or a potential abuse of authority. We don't want to sweep things under the rug in the name of humility, but we also want to deal with it in a godly way. So give us wisdom, God. If there are people around us who are beginning to rebel or complain, bringing about division or discord, give us the strength to walk away and to separate ourselves from them. It doesn't mean that we have to hate them. We can still love them, but from afar. It is so easy to be lured into that kind of mentality and we want nothing to do with it. We want to be respectful of the authority that you have placed in our lives. So I pray that you will humble our hearts today. And I pray that we will not be Monday morning quarterbacks or backseat drivers criticizing every little thing that we think that we could do better. And may we not create unfair expectations or assign evil hearts to people. And I pray that we will be good leaders and shepherds who are full of compassion for those who might stray, but fiercely protective against those who might injure. For anyone who may be struggling with a critical spirit or bitterness today, I pray that you will set them free, fill them with gratitude and joy, open their eyes to see the good in people and their circumstances, surround them with people who will show them what true and godly love is, and help them to see how loved and gifted they are so they don't neglect their own calling by trying to destroy someone else's. Forgive us where we may have ever wanted someone else's position or authority or gifts. And we thank you, Jesus, for extinguishing the fire of the wrath that we deserved in judgment. You stood between our death and eternal life to take it on and atone for our sin. And we are so grateful for the righteousness that you have robed us with, allowing us to stand before our holy God. And we thank you even more for the convicting word that divides the bone and marrow or the soul and spirit. I pray that when it hurts a little to hear the truth, that we won't feel as though we are undone or being attacked or need to move away quickly. But instead, may the grace of your word draw us closer with each word that we read. We are so thankful for it. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and every single one of us have fallen short. And then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because he loves us and he wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive him before we leave this earth as Lord and Savior. Hell is a very real thing and there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I want to be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm going to end up after I die. But I don't want to live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. 
I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're going to say a prayer and I'm going to put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're going to say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth, and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins, so I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.